This week on the Nonprofit News Feed, brought to you by Whole Whale, of course, uh, we're talking about, as we move into March, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and all of the second order effects that is now having on the global nonprofit industry and pulling on threads and stories and what we see happening. Clearly, we are not a minute by minute news show. We're not trying to cover the angles of military actions and uh, the Ukraine, but we're trying to understand how nonprofits are responding and give you an idea uh, of what we see from where we sit and, and maybe get you some ideas on how you may operate under this new landscape that we are seeing. Nick, how's it going? <laughs> it's, it's going good, George. It definitely feels like this is one of those moments where history is being defined But I think today what we can do is offer some synthesis of what we're seeing from the nonprofit angle um, and tie it back to larger threads and narratives that we have been honing on this podcast. But to start us off, we'll just give a basic overview and then dive into some key points and stories. So, of course, last Thursday, Russian ground troops launched an all-out war against Ukraine again. Uh, we're not a breaking news organization. You can you can follow that on other sources. Um, but from the humanitarian perspective, what we are now seeing is an incredibly large and incredibly rapid refugee crisis. The UN High Commissioner for Refugees now estimates that over half a million Ukrainian refugees have entered neighboring countries, including Poland, Hungary, and Romania. Um, other smaller countries like Slovakia and Moldova as well. When we wrote that, George, that was yesterday morning. Now that same UN High Commissioner for Refugees has upped that number to, I recently saw, 660,000. They're bracing for approximately 4 million refugees. The total population of Ukraine is 44 million. Um, So this is a very sizable and very quickly moving refugee crisis. I think that's really important because Refugees are, this is one of the key ways that nonprofits and NGOs are engaging with the situation is caring for refugees in the countries surrounding Ukraine. So I guess we can stay on that theme for uh, a little bit, um, just talking about the refugee crisis. Um, So uh, another thread here is that while that's unfolding, there has been um, a groundswell of popular support for these refugees um, from tons of different nonprofit organizations and NGOs. And if we go to the second bullet in our our second uh, at a glance headline, um, we talk about what's essentially like a decentralized uh, response to this refugee crisis. We see it across um, Facebook groups of people getting cars together and going to the border, nonprofits all over the place in Poland and Hungary responding. Um, Doctors Without Borders is at all these different countries where refugees are are flowing and uh, an incredible groundswell of volunteer support throughout Eastern Europe. That's, I think, a thread to focus on is this uh, kind of the rapid response of of volunteerism in in Eastern Europe to house these these refugees. I've seen spreadsheets floating around of um, safe places to go in Romania, just people offering up their houses. George, this is one of the stories, I believe it was a Reuters story talking about, uh, or AP, excuse me, um, talking about refugees and volunteers 
What do you make of the outpouring of volunteer support caring for these folks? Yeah, we're entering into an unprecedented size of ground war since World War II. That is a once in a generation type of moment. I think there are incredible nonprofit, NGO, non governmental organizations, NGO responses that are, are really going to be tested now. And I think you're going to see a lot of humanity respond to a humanitarian catastrophe. And in seeing that, you know, you're seeing the word volunteer also be used, which I think is interesting in its original sense and sentiment, which is volunteers picking up weapons to defend their homes. And there's that level of volunteer now being used that is setting a new standard for urgency. And I'm incredibly impressed, incredibly heartened by what I see in the national nonprofit communities and and how they're responding, but they're going to be tested. And I think this second order effect is going to be also one of the largest years for donations in American history. I think we're going to see international and domestic uh, giving to support this because it is capturing on a lot of levels the the national sentiment. It's tapping into outrage, frankly, against a, a common enemy that is clearly defined. And really, you cannot argue with an unprovoked, uh, direct provoke war. I mean, I don't care how the narrative is spun. You can see it in, in images and in uh, the way Ukraine is, is reaching out. So I think, again, you know, be prepared for the domestic and international responses and how your organization can be tying into the, the type of support you need to support, you know, 10% in growing of potential displacement of a population as refugees not to mention when this horrible thing comes to an end and we're not quite sure how and why, the rebuilding follow-on efforts that are going to be needed from uh, not just industrial, but social uh, as well. Yeah, George, I think that's a great analysis. And one of the things we're seeing is that within the, the diaspora community of Ukrainians around the world, there was a very, very quick consolidation and coordination among different nonprofit groups and organizations, which I think is a tremendous model for other organizations um, operating in times of crisis. I know that lots of different Ukrainian-American organizations got together, quickly put together, uh, you know, like a little microsite or a link tree of of ways to get involved and donate and help and and consolidate all those efforts, which is really tremendous um, from the the organizational perspective. One story we did see in particular when we talk about kind of crowdsourcing funding is this story about Patreon suspending a Ukrainian NGO called Come Back Alive for funding military activity. And this incidentally is a very prominent example of a story we followed up on a couple weeks ago involving people giving support to the trucker protests in Canada. Um, Patreon making, in some ways, a similar decision, blocking foreign money from going to an NGO, apparently uh, military activity, perhaps understandably, a a couple weeks ago at least, um, violating the terms of service. But what do we think this says about um, fundraising? What what, what did you take away from this story? I was immediately struck by how quickly the narrative of, well, obviously it's fine if a platform can choose to cut off funding for a cause you don't like. 
And I immediately thought of the GoFundMe that was canceled for the, the Freedom Convoy. Think what you will about the Freedom Convoy. That's fine. But you're talking about people independently choosing with their wallets to send money toward a cause to support something they believe. And in this case, it worked out the exact opposite way, I would argue, simply because the Comeback Alive NGO established in 2014, when armed conflict broke out, uh, they, you know, they were going to provide armor and medical equipment to Ukrainian fighters and volunteers that are picking up weapons and going into battle with sweatpants. So I understand that you don't support military equipment normally. But this is a once-in-a-generation land war and human catastrophe. And suddenly Patreon says, ah, no, we don't do this. You're, you're canceled. We choose to cancel you and not allow money to be sent to your nonprofit. The unique thing, and I know you know what's coming, the unique thing that is different about this is that we now have the option of cryptocurrency and crypto philanthropy. And so in response to that, the Ukrainian DAO was able to raise about $4 million in cryptocurrency for Comeback Alive. So in some senses, I'm seeing in a similar way that I watched Blockbuster say, this little Netflix is never going to make it. The publication saying, no one's ever going to read things online. I'm seeing the gatekeepers, for better and worse, of philanthropic dollars to nonprofits be disintermediated. And in this case, it kind of made me smile to realize that there's a institution that can't withhold funds from where they need to be. And other times, you know, it made me happy that it was able to be a blocker. And so I think this is like it or don't like it, a new reality that is coming. And so I would say another second order effect to come back to what I'm seeing. Another second order effect is you're about to familiarize a massive amount of domestic giving via cryptocurrency because they suddenly see that when it's a cause they support and it happens to be blocked by the powers of financial financial will that it can't be stopped. You can right now send money. And you know that is another one of the notes in our story that uh, at the time of writing it was about 15 million had been sent to the uh, crypto accounts of Ukraine associated with the Ukrainian DAO as well as uh, Ukraine proper in their Twitter handles. Uh, I've seen reports as much as 30 million has been sent to them and has actually been used to support on the ground activities. Again, without the permission of Bank X or finally this platform Y that takes 2%, 5%, this is going to onboard a lot of people into the upside of crypto philanthropy and a good time to, to check out how your audience may be shifting in their methods of giving. Yeah, George, I think that's such a great way to frame this conversation, not necessarily crypto, but something that was interesting to me. And I don't think we even put it in our newsletter. It was that um, also Ukraine, which has been the Ukrainian government's been using social media to tremendous effect. It is President Zelensky has been using it to garner and and drum up international support in in a way I don't think they, they could have done any better. But one of the things I saw was they created a, a bank account for their military made all their routing numbers public. And now you can just wire money directly to the Ukrainian military, which is, I, I, I don't know what the takeaway of that is for nonprofits, but I have never seen anything like that before. Yes. Yeah, a lot of unprecedented 
elements in terms of, but when, when events like this happen, there are uh, a lot of shifts in societal understanding. And I think this is a positive weaponization of social media, actually, of saying, how do you bring in the actual voice? You've seen Zelensky be able to immediately counter uh, Russian misinformation of saying that his cabinet was dead. He's like, he popped on to freaking social on a web, like on his phone being like, ah, no, nope, still here. We're fine. That then just garners, again, the international support to be able to wire in that money. So you have, you know, this infrastructure just uh, being leveraged, uh, again, as a, uh, a war weapon instead of just uh, information uh, in terms of defending Ukraine. Yeah, George, I, I absolutely agree. And just a personal anecdote, I'm in New York City. I um, was able to attend some of the protests um, led by the Ukrainian, large commu- Ukrainian community in New York City. Um, and it was unbelievable that there were some of the the quotes some of the audio snippets that have made it out from Ukraine just hours earlier suddenly were showing up on signs in in these protests and how just kind of globalized um this this has become to a, an hour by hour minute by minute basis but when it comes to generating support monetary support um as well that's it seems like um just a, an incredible shift and a devolution of, of power to people all over the world to contribute. Another thread I wanted to pull out of this, George, um, and something we highlighted that uh, we talked about the information war as well. Um, Russia has attempted to, I think, slow down Facebook and and block social media within the country to stem dissent away from official state narratives. Um, but interestingly, um, major U.S.-based social media platforms like Facebook and Google are also clamping down on state-run media. I think that RT has basically been kicked off of Facebook. Um, Can you explain what Europe. RT is? Sorry. Oh, yes. Russia Today is um, Russian state-owned media, but they broadcast in English language. Um, they have a channel in in uh, in almost every European country in the United States. They are Russian state-owned and state-backed. Um, and, uh, they've been officially kicked off the platform and Facebook just, they seem the American tech companies seem to be much more hands-on on this than I can really remember of any moment past. And I wonder if we've gotten to a point where, I mean, neutrality in this is so atrocious that they're, they're forced to take action. Um, do you think that this is something that'll continue to happen? Or is this a, a once-off of the big tech, tech platforms being super hands-on on, on how information flows on it? I believe Pandora's box has already been opened. And it was opened as soon as they deplatformed the very first person and moved themselves from this like user-generated content world to being a publisher. They don't use that language. They can't use that language. But as soon as you close one door, you have opened the other, which is social pressure can be applied to you to uh, silence voices, um, and frankly, amplify others on your platform. Uh, I, I don't know, neither good nor bad. That is just the landscape that you're in with regard to social media. We had another point in here about actually the, the World Food Program, estimating that 50% of its grain comes from Ukraine and Russia. Yeah, that, that second order effect means potential global food insecurity. And I don't, I'm not smart enough to understand what that really means. 
but it's not good. Yeah, George, that's exactly the thing. You know, in the thick of it now, we're still at the early stages of this, but global economies are going to shift because of this. The global markets are going to completely change in ways that we haven't seen in a very long time. Um, And I think that's a a great point. Um, We talked about World Food Program potentially being unable to access uh, grain and food. Um, You also have to talk about the sanctions, right? Sanctions are Russia's economy is slowly being squeezed. Um, today was the second day their stock market just didn't open. Um, their currency has uh, devalued at unprecedented rates. 20, 30%. Yeah. 20, crazy. And um, and and uh, oil prices are going to go up. Uh, they've gone up and they're going to continue to go up. So I, I think that, I think what's so interesting about this is that the West made the calculation that the economic harm that will come from sequestering Russia from the global economy, we are willing to bear the consequences of that in our own territories because it is the right thing to do. Um, and it it's not going to help inflation. It's not going to help prices. But that was the choice that um, the, the EU, the US, and um, other Western countries and, and economic powers made um, to levy as a consequence for this. Um, but the downstream effects for American nonprofits is you're going to see higher prices. Um, this will not help inflation. You're going to see higher gas prices. That in fact, that affects communities, right? Um, you're going to see Russia and Ukraine, massive swaths of land, like the word World Food Program is getting its food cut off. There are other supply chains that are going to be drastically interrupted. Um, these are going to have significant um uh, second and third order effects. Um, so that's just something to be aware of on a global macroeconomic level of, of how all of this will affect, you know, communities even here in America. I would say in terms of planning, the second order effect clearly is that if you know the anatomy of a traffic jam and how it starts by one car just slowing down ever so, but if it's high throughput on that highway, you end up with a miles long, hours long delay simply by a couple of cars slowing down. Now imagine if one mile of traffic just stopped dead. You don't see it immediately if you're driving down the road, but it's coming and it's going to have a tremendous impact on the things that Nick, you just went through. Um, and I think that's, that's key. And then, you know, another narrative here is there are Russians that are protesting. There are Russians that are not in support of this. And I think it is very important in this moment to recognize there's a difference between Russians and Russia and not do what I find is the tendency of letting hate-led narratives and anger uh, spill onto Russians as individuals versus the core of the problem, which is a Russian administration uh, that has chosen uh, war and acts of war. Uh, instead of conversation. And a second order effect, unfortunate, that I'm going to be on the lookout for is discrimination, actually, against Russians and penalizing. Because what we're doing right now is sanctioning anybody with a ruble. That's a broad brush. Yeah, George, I I, I think you're you're absolutely right. What's so sad about this is that the Russian economy collapsing affects millions of Russian people who didn't 
choose this. Um, there, and, and to your point, thousands of Russian people risk their own livelihoods to protest in Moscow, um, their own government, um, which is terrifying. And um, yeah, I, I think that's something we'll, we'll have to be on the lookout before, uh, for moving forward. Thanks, Nick, for summarizing this. You did an awesome job trying to cover so many different angles and clearly we'll be following up on a lot of these threads and seeing uh, and trying to figure out how maybe the nonprofit sector can now plan ahead, can think about what's coming and find those stories uh, that are that are interesting and shaping uh, what's going to happen as a result of this once in a generation. Nick, feel good story. What do you got? I got us. I got us a good one. Uh, still related, of course, to the the, the Russia Ukraine conflict, um, but this is about Airbnb, uh, which is offering free housing to a hundred thousand refugees from Ukraine. I think they actually may have even upped that since the story was published. Um, they Airbnb.com. They have a, a foundation, Airbnb.org, um, and they are offering free housing, um, both charitable donations and even Airbnb hosts, is my understanding, are allowed to donate housing options um, for refugees fleeing the crisis. Um, so just a, a cool, innovative way um, that a company is standing up and doing the right thing. Um, and they have the logistical infrastructure to do it. And uh, it's cool to see uh, a company standing up in this way. I'll leave us with a, a quote that I tossed in the email. Peace cannot be kept by force. It can only be achieved by understanding. It's an Albert Einstein. And I think if you're taking this view, test your own anger and frustration toward that comment again about is this Russia or Russians uh, and, and where that anger is placed. And then when this inevitably ends, how you find peace and it won't be through sanctions and war. It's going to be have to be done through understanding. So I, I, I challenge you to try that thought experiment. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 